Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. So we're here today with Nicholas Palazzi, uh, impresario of Cognac and limited release spirits in general, someone who's kind of pioneered uh, a look at some more craft spirits in terms of importation in New York, looking at some categories that were a little bigger and in a way making them smaller, bringing in some family uh, states, bringing in some things that aren't uh, necessarily super brand names. Thanks. Thanks, Nicholas, for taking the time. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're up to right now with your company? Um, well, you know, it's a, it's a fairly young company. started about three and a half years ago. Um, the goal is uh, basically to uh, bring in craft spirits and artisan stuff, like the stuff that small guys make, um, whatever small family do in France, here uh, in the U.S., in Italy, in Spain, uh, wherever there's people who care uh, and who make things uh the way they're supposed to be done. Don't cut corners. Don't do additives or things like that. Things that are um, representative of a, of a place, of a terroir in a way. Um, if I like it, if I would drink it, then I will uh, bring it here and try to sell it. So how, how did you get started? Um, hmm. Uh, well, the, the 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 wine the wine spirit thing. Uh, just I I was born in a in a uh, winemaking family in Bordeaux, so it's sort of oh, okay. uh, it, it's sort of uh, what's uh, what sparked the the interest towards uh, uh, alcoholic beverages, and then uh, and then I got into uh, cognac as my first uh, spirits. That's my first love, anyway. Sure, and the cognac region is really not that far away from the Bordeaux region. It is, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, from where I grew up, you drive an hour and twenty minutes uh, uh, north from the house, and you're right in the middle of the uh, of the cognac uh, of the cognac area. And, and and so there is, and because you're in France, and people drink um, very uh, uh, regional stuff, um, then you will uh, you will end me always a cognac. Like Armagnac is too far. From Bordeaux, right? So yeah. you, you're, you're not going to do a couple a, extra miles. Forget about yeah. it. Yeah. So so cognac is the only spirit that the French guy would uh, you know know. Uh, you're a French guy. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to. I'm working on the accent right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to Americanize myself. As no, much I mean I can. there are people in France that would drink Armagnac. It's just not where you're from. Exactly. Yep. Yep. 
Well, though, though I, 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 I dig Armenia quite a bit, but you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying that's in my family, cognac is what we were drinking, uh, and especially because my, my uh, grandfather's best friend is a, uh, a ninth-generation cognac maker, and they were hanging out, uh, and they're still hanging out uh, quite a bit together. Um, so that's that's uh, that's how I got to, that's how I got into cognac. So I mean. <clears throat> If someone were to want to understand cognac that didn't know much about it and wanted to think about it as a beverage and not a brand name, what mm-hmm. would you tell them about this beverage? What does it taste like? What is it? Well, what are the, you drinking it with? What are you drinking it after? There is a the, the first thing I would say is uh, cognac is a wine. You have to you have to uh, think of it as such. It's not like some weird spirits with you know a flashy ball and then like you know a couple names uh, a couple brand names on it. It's there. There is a region where um, guys are making cognac, uh, and you will find as many flavor profile and aroma profile as you are um, going to have people making cognac. And there are different areas within the cognac region, and the cognacs made in those regions, if they are well made, uh, if they are uh, not manufactured in a way, um, they will. Um, show a sense of place. So it's really, despite the fact that yes, cognac is distilled uh, and then it is uh, it is aged, so obviously it impacts the the flavor profile a, a lot. Uh, despite that, um, cognac there's not like one dominant flavor profile for cognac. Yes, it's a brown spirit. Uh, there is a it tends to be on the fruit and floral side uh, of things when it's young and and when it matures. It gets more towards the uh, nutty, walnutty sort of parmigiano, reggiano, dried fruit. So that's uh, an interesting point because a lot of times people are like, "Oh, this is older, so it must be better." But what you're saying is it's older and it's different as a result, but not necessarily better. No, it's, it's it, different. It depends. I mean, it depends on everybody's palate, really. Uh, if you uh, if you're into uh, you're into wine, uh, you might like your you know fruits. In the wine, so you Pretty might common that people like fruit, right? In the wine. Yeah. And, and and then and then you you, you drink Burgundies from the fifties or sixties, and you would be like, all right, where's the fruit? Right. And, and whereas you know some people would spend a ton of money on those same wines. Um, it's exactly the same for for cognac. You will uh, some people are gonna because of their palate, they're gonna be into fruitier, younger um, cognac. Some you know will. Uh, um, like older products, uh, are older products necessarily better? No, it just depends on what you like. So you found yourself in the states, and mm-hmm. and you decided to start up the importation of uh, some cognacs that you knew were not being brought in, that were small scale, that were family production. Um, how did that come about? What were you doing prior to that, and why the leap into that business? Um, well, my. I grew up. I grew up in a uh, in a winemaking family, and um, everybody thought that I should get a real job because the the winemaking thing would be too hard. Um, so, so you're kind of a pansy, is what you're saying, or at least your parents thought so. Right. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. Got that's it. right. That's right. <laughs> so you went into the military to prove them wrong, basically. Uh, I absolutely did not. Uh, <laughs> did you? Did was there any military upbringing in your family? Yeah, half of my family on my on my father's side. My, on my father's side, uh, people are uh, from Corsica, and everybody's in the military. So I'm not. They're pretty you know. tough down there. Um. Yeah. You know, they. It's said in France that you don't want to mess with them. Well, of course, uh, yeah. right? I've heard right. that. That's why I say 
Sure, I'm I, just. I I'm think just, they've had a host of invaders over the centuries. That they Italian, French, Italian, French, Italian. So that's that's why you you don't want to mess with them. And I'm saying that looking at you in the eyes. Yeah, uh, kind of in a C- Steven Seagal kind of manner as well. Yeah. Sort. I mean, we, we, we slightly more charisma, I hope. <laughs> but you know. Um, hey, he was good in that movie with the boat. You know, I can't remember the name of it, but he was. He was I can't amazing. remember any any name of his movies. I can see I can see the guy. I see his face. I see the haircut. Right. Well, the haircut you can't forget in the nightmares that comes back to you. <laughs> so, but, so you came to America. How did how did that? Um, you tracked down the Steven Seagal movies, and you wanted to find them at their source. And yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I have a I have a giant Steven Seagal tattoo <laughs> in my back, and I just w- wanted to be clothed from the guy. Really, like see how the guys. You know? <laughs> no, but seriously. So uh, you found yeah. yourself in America. What um, what happened there? You were well. My to my, my my family wanted me to find a job to get a job, so I ended up becoming a, a, a chemical engineer. I worked four years in France, and uh, and. I thought that I was uh, being fed up with France, and I decided to try to um, move uh, uh, away and, and, and you know learn another culture and stuff. Um, ended up uh, moving to the U.S., uh, got a, an engineering job, and that's you know after like an, a year and a half here working as an engineer, uh, I it came to me that it wasn't really France, but more the engineering thing that was really not made uh, uh, for me. Uh, and uh, I woke up one morning and decided that I should try to do something that I would really uh, uh, um, like, be passionate about. Because after six years, when you're 21, you start working, and for six years, you wake up in the morning and you get this feeling where you don't want to see the guys you're going to work with. Right. Uh, but you don't. You, you're, not, you're not smart enough to understand why <laughs> you, you you have these. Uh, you you have the thoughts, uh, and you know you you don't want to you don't. Wanna, you don't want to see yourself in forty years uh, right. doing uh, doing with things with a fake smile. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so I ended up uh, I ended up uh, uh, looking into what I would want to do, and 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 you know, wine, booze was really something that uh, I, I would be uh, I'm, I'm I'm into. So, uh, so I mean, what was that about? It was about the family connection, or it was about the lifestyle of it, or just the flavor complexities. I mean, what kind of drew you back in from the world of circuit boards? Well, I mean, it's 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 just the uh, it's just the uh, I don't know. It's it's sort of a way of life, I guess. I mean, I I, I grew up surrounded by like forty two hectares of vine. Yeah, uh, we were drinking wine uh, with every dinner. Like you know, even when I was like four, I, I would have a sip of wine or something. And it's just I don't know. It's it's just something in you that makes you you, you when you close your eyes and you and you and you, and you think a few for a few minutes and you, you wonder right, what am I really into? Well, that's uh, it makes uh, it, it's it seems pretty clear. So a real job wasn't real for you, and you wanted to like kind of harken back to some of the stuff that you grew up. And yeah, maybe absolutely. some of the flavor profiles as well. I mean, were there moments that you had in the cellars of Bordeaux and Cognac that you kind of wanted to recapture? Well, there is a there is this uh, there is this moment I, I remember well uh, when uh, I was five years old and we popped up a, uh, a bottle of uh, of uh, it was a fourteen twenty three uh, cognac one four two one, three exactly and, and uh, that's like almost like a different dynasty of Europe. I mean, no, I'm just messing with you. It's just I don't <laughs> I don't I don't I don't, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have an amazing uh, an amazing story about oh okay yeah, you really did have me there like you yeah, you got me that's horrible. No, but I mean, did you, when you look today, are you like kind of like, oh, this is kind of like the kind of thing I had as a kid or no? It's, it, it just brings a, 
don't know. It, it, it just makes sense. Uh, it, it's uh, it's something that you'll you know that I feel I have in me. That's something that I, I can talk about. You know, spirits or wine. Uh, I can drink quite a bit of you know both. I, I so re- it was your tolerance for alcohol that gave you a good leap into the business. Right, it helps. You're like everyone <laughs> else was getting drunk, and I was fine. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so no, it's it's it's. Uh, I don't know. I to be honest with you, you I, were just I, interested in it. It, it yeah, made it's sense just, to you. It, it's just something that. You know, makes sense. That's yeah, you don't uh, have that's, to defend that's, your that's life. That's basically. To me. I understand. That's basically. That's basically. You know, I, I didn't start with any business plan. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have. A Would business you plan. recommend that to people? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not Say sure. Say a young guy wanted to start out. I mean, what would be the first kind of a piece of advice you would give to him? Um, try to get an understanding of the market and how the stuff works. So uh, know that you can sell it first. Uh-huh. So have some understanding of how you're going to sell this. Yeah, well, just 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 get an idea, especially if you're not from the U.S. and you, and, and you don't really know how the how the system works. Uh, you definitely want to get into uh, you know the, the the retail side of things, the walls. You know, just just get internships, something like that. So just to just to get an idea, a little of, practical knowledge of the program. Yes, because I, I lacked uh, I lacked that uh, at first. I just decided to start. Uh, you thought it would business. be like France, like. There's guys who own restaurants, and there's guys who have vineyards, and the guys who have vineyards just go right up to the guy who has a restaurant and sells it to him. Yeah, I didn't even, you know, I'm a, I'm a very simple person. I got two neurons, and uh, and, and you know they <laughs> they I don't know. I, I, I think I, I have about one and a half then, because you seem pretty smart to me. <laughs> um, but it's uh, I don't know. I never really thought about. I, I just I just figured I would do that and I decided to do it and I, I had no prior uh, um, training or experience or anything and and, uh, and I made uh, tons of mistakes mm-hmm. uh, because yeah it's the, the system here is much different than, than in France the, the way to approach um, the, the liquors uh, has nothing to do with what I know uh, back home so it's uh, it, you, you want to get uh, a clear idea of the uh, of the uh, of the business of how it works, at least the, the, the big lines before starting. I did not, and uh, and uh, well, it's uh, I got lucky so far. But uh, it's uh, well, you I seem would, to be doing well. I, I mean, would not recommend growing that. the portfolio. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't complain. It's doing it's doing well. But, so you kind of tapped into some family connections early on, or how did you go about finding your first few producers of cognac? Well, what I uh, what I did is uh, it was a mix. Uh, it was a mix of luck and good timing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, about four and a half years ago, my uh, my mentor, my my cognac mentor, uh, needed money, and banks would not you know lend him anything. So um, because he, he was sort of uh, you know too old for. Uh, um, getting a loan or something. So I, I basically um, took money from my account, took a small loan, gave him the money, and then ended up uh, in return. He gave me uh, he gave me some some cognacs. Oh, I see. So, so you got some older stuff kind of right, right away. So I, I started I started with uh, I started with a small seller of uh, um, casks that I uh, that I picked uh, from my mentor seller, uh, and that's really that's really how I got uh, how I got started. Um, and then uh, and then things. Things happened uh, without any. Uh, uh, I, did, I, did, I didn't plan. I didn't plan much. Uh, I should say there's. I met somebody here who became one of my. Uh, became my first private client and, and one of my best friends. And you know we flew to. I, I flew this gentleman to cognac. We spent ten days there. Um, drank the the wine, uh, eat the food, uh, tasted cognacs. 
he bought a cask from me. I had to figure out how to bottle the stuff, bring it here. And then, you know, everything I was doing uh, and, and still to these days uh, are just, you know, mostly uh, the first time I was doing those very things. And uh, and it's... Yeah, you know, I remember when you went to Jerez and you oh, were just sort of there to check out what it was like down there. And then you came back with like imported products you know a lot of other guys go down there and like oh yeah it seems so great you know the weather was wonderful and you're like yeah it seemed great and i brought back all these bottles you know well that's that's the for first first it's thanks to you uh which is uh, cool i didn't that's, really do anything that's this, i certainly uh, didn't get on the plane like you did <laughs> well that's uh you know you you this uh, this dinner you did like uh, like two two three years ago like the sherry dinner is really what opened up my uh, what opened up my uh my eyes uh, completely to, unintentional on my part, but uh, well, it I mean, worked you, out well for you. Then, good. well, you, you you sort of you worked out. It worked out well for me, and it worked out well for Sherry because you sort of brought this thing to uh, sort of brought attention to, to to that thing, and now it's now it's becoming pretty huge. It seems. Um, but that being said, uh, you know, it's it's uh, that's the uh, that's the plus when you are a one man operation. Uh, you yourself, can change on a dime. You can just make things happen. You're self founded, and you do. Uh, you don't have a. You don't have a. Um, you don't, board you don't, to clear things by. You don't have to like go. Yeah, absolutely. File I mean, a bunch of paperwork. With if, I do, see, if I want to do, if I want to do, if I want to do something, and I feel it's right, and because because the way I do things is, uh, I mean, some people would, uh, would would maybe look at it and and, and feel it's a bit. It's a bit weird, but I I do things uh, without much planning. I do things. Um, I, I I react. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel something, and I feel it's right, so I'm going to do it because I want to do it. Uh, I'm going to make a I'm going to make a ton of mistakes, and you know, a few things are going to are going to are going to um, be uh, successes, I'd say. And yeah, I mean, you know, you uh, you open up my eyes to uh, to what Sherry to what Sherry was like. Uh, you set me up. You set me up with somebody. who set me up with somebody who ended up putting me in touch with the guys at Equipo Navazos. I put it that on my card, actually. The man behind the man behind the man behind the man is actually how I phrase my my. You, you want you you want you want to you want to have a little little like story or something to <laughs> sort of like you know explain what. No, but we, enough about that. Still. I mean, okay. So here's the thing. And I want to ask you this question. You, you, you phrase yourself like you're kind of the seat of this pants guy. But here you're working a spirits category with small brands that really aren't brands in a heavy brand-dominated market. So a lot of times people think about Cognac. They think about some of the big, big names. And uh, those names are a huge amount of sales. And you know, a lot of times when people think about Spanish brandy, they don't think of any names. True. So here you are and you've created this niche for these Small scale, no branding uh, items of high quality that don't sell for nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you ask for a fair amount of return on these spirits. Certainly, they merit it, but you know, you're able to get this this money for them. How? What do you attribute that success to? Because so many other people have spoken about how hard it is to break into spirits, especially uh, as a small producer. And what would you say to somebody who was like? Um, you know, I see a world full of big brands and I'm looking for something different. Why can't I find more? I mean, what's, what is the market like and how have you managed to do what you've done? Well, I don't feel uh, the, 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 the one thing, uh, the one thing that goes, uh, in my favor is that I don't think I have much, uh, I have much competition on the market for, um, because really no one's trying to do. Yes. This. That's, that's exactly what it is. Uh, there is, um, uh, 
So you, you you said you said that they are uh, major brands and major brands are uh, they they rely on marketing. I mean, uh, great for them. If I if I had money for if I had marketing money, I would I would absolutely use it. Um, now, if you uh, if you sell um, products that are uh, non brands, um, then it's just about uh, how passionate you are in in uh, how uh, how consistent how hardworking you're gonna be. Uh, trying to explain to the good people out there who might be able to get interested and buy uh, and buy those stuff, uh, introduce their guests. You know, whether I'm talking whether it's uh, it's sommeliers, beverage directors, uh, you know, bartenders, mixologists, uh, you name it. Um, you wanna you wanna be able to approach them uh, to explain them why it tastes like it does, how it's made. Explain the fact that it's actual people making you know those things, and and, uh, and you know. There, there are guys out there who uh, want to learn, who are interested into um, trying out new products, and you know if there's a market for uh, zillions of wines that you know uh, everybody's making here and there in every uh, corner of the world, then it's the same. It's the same with spirits, except that um, yes, you uh, the the one thing that is um, a little harder to uh, to overcome is the fact that, for example, when I'm when I'm going to see somebody and say, hey, you know, I have artisan cognacs with me, you know, small families doing good stuff, um, people would be like, oh, I don't, I, I don't drink cognac much. I don't really like cognac. But Do what you find an application for cognac at the table? I mean, are, I know you've done some experimenting with cognac and food pairing. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this something that's possible for people to? Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I done, I done, a, I've done a, a, a lot of cognac dinners. Uh, you know, five, seven dishes paired with five, seven cognacs. And if you really know the products well, and if you really know the food well, you can, you can pair, you, you, you can do very nice pairings there. Uh, it's cognac is versatile. Versatile. Uh, that's my that's my uh, French accent kicking in. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> as if it just started. As if the yeah. previous half hour wasn't also kicked what, in. Whatever. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's uh, it's uh, you know when you when you meet guys who, uh, who tell you I don't drink much cognac or I don't like cognac just because they they feel they have tasted what cognac is and we come back to the first point when we started talking is there an actual flavor profile for cognac? Not really. I mean, when you have tasted cognac, most of the time you've tasted one of the four major brands. Uh, and and the products are they're not bad at all, uh, but they pretty much all taste alike. So it's it's uh, if if you you need to be open minded and, and try out stuff. Maybe you know let's try a couple of producers. They have very different styles. Um, I'm talking about small guys. You know if you still don't you know bite into cognac, okay, maybe cognac's not for you. Right. But you know if you if you just tried you know some of the major stuff out there that are. Uh, Available in. If you're just doing mass-produced cheese, maybe you haven't really had cheese. Yeah, that's exactly. It's exactly the same. Yeah, that's that's. It's between. It's between the uh, these these handcrafted cheese that you're gonna get from upstate New York and uh, the the the, yeah, the the yellow uh, layer uh, of cheese in between two layers of plastic. That's that's basically what it is. With a little more alcohol. Yeah. Do do people sometimes get turned off by high alcohol these days? I mean, a lot of times in a wine market, people are like, "Oh, I don't want to drink." High alcohol is that something you know, that you're facing? That's a little bit of a hurdle, or are people more receptive to it? In well, the there, there's there's really uh, there's really three types of uh, three types of customers. You have the uh, you have, you have um, the wine drinking uh, um, people who are into uh, um, you know like wines between ten, twelve, thirteen, even fifteen, sixteen, whatever. But then when if they don't drink much much spirit, then they're gonna they're gonna nose uh, a cognac, Normania, Calvados, uh, whiskey. And and uh, and and 
the alcohol is going to be a factor. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to be like, "Ooh, okay, that's hot." Right. Um, and, and then there is a uh, th there is a a lot of um, um, training to be done, I guess, to to get them step by step to enjoy uh, to enjoy spirits. So, what is some of that? I mean, what is some of the things that you would recommend to someone who likes wine that you would say, "Hey, this is." A technique that you could use to maybe get into spirits. I mean, what are you telling these people? Well, exactly like when you uh, when you would uh, you, you you have a wine you have a wine uh, uh, person who is into say uh, Oregon uh, Oregon Pinot or yeah, let's say uh, somebody somebody's into Oregon Pinot and uh, Pinot Noir and uh, you want to try to get this person to discover uh, uh, Burgundy Pinot uh, Burgundy Pinot. Um, then you might offer a chambol uh, or something that. So just giving them the goods, being like, "Here, try this." Yeah, but something, some, something, something that's not going to be very far from uh, their uh, comfort zone. Got it. A uh, little smoother. You're saying chambol is a little more fine grain, a little more finesse. Something, yeah, so, some, so, something that uh, starts to get them into the realm of spirits. Uh, but it's not gonna, uh, um, you know, provoke this reaction where they don't even want to try it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would say, you know, if you, you, you take something, if you, if you, if you take somebody who's into, uh, who's into wine, uh, and you wanna, you wanna get this person to, uh, to try spirits, maybe you want to, you, you might want to start with white spirits. Uh, maybe you want to get into, like, slowly into brown spirits, and, or you're gonna, Try something that's super peated and super smoky. So maybe you not. recommend starting with like gin, maybe even vodka, certain types of mezcal. I haven't seen a lot of wood, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, w I would I would try to get used to the alcohol first, mm -hmm. uh, and, and and so you want something that's going to be uh, round uh, on, on the uh, smooth side. Even though I, I I despise the word smooth, but it's uh, it's just uh, something that is going to be uh, something that. Is going to give um, the drinker uh, a palate for uh, higher proof spirits. Got it. Um, and and then um, so you don't want to do you don't want to do something that's too smoky. You don't want to do something that's too peaty. So you don't, don't start at the art bag, but right work so you, towards that. You're, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna start you're gonna start with um, you know white maybe white spirits, then move on to something that's easily understandable like Irish whiskeys. Uh, sure. at, you know, at 80, uh, 80 proof, and then move on to uh, move on to darker spirits, and little by little, uh, it's an acquired taste. So little by little, you're gonna get you, you know those people are gonna get into eventually uh, peated uh, peated uh, peated whiskies, uh, older cognacs, uh, that type of stuff. Got it. Um, so what has the reception been? I mean, have people embraced what you're doing in terms of bringing in? Well, I mean, I, I started I started about three and a half years ago, and I'm still here. So yeah, yeah. still at the table, <laughs> uh, still in the game. That's it, baby. So uh, it seems like you branched out a little bit. I mean, you no longer just do cognac. I remember you did Pinot Charente, and it was like a little different. And then now you're in different countries. You're working with Spanish brandy. You're working with bitters. What What was the story there? Well, it's just uh, it, it just there, there's cool stuff everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and my my first love is cognac, and that's really what I uh, that's really what I know well. That's really what I and uh, this is still you know sixty percent of my business uh, now because there's cool stuff everywhere. Uh, am I I can I have this luxury of being able to do whatever I want to do if I believe in the product, if I believe in the story, if I get excited about it. Uh, I think I can you know uh, there's a, there's a story to tell, there's a product to be discovered. Why not? 
So know? what is the complete range at this time? I mean, what are you looking at bringing in? What are you bringing in right now? Well, so cognac, uh, Orton cognac, obviously. Then I've started uh, uh, introducing old Pinot de Charente uh, because that's... that's what is that? If we could just talk a little bit about what that is for the people who may not know. Well, it's uh, Pinot. You spell it P-I-N-E-A-U, Pinot de Charente. Okay, so not like Pinot Noir. Right. So Pinot de Charente means Pinot from the Charente region of France, which encompasses the, the, the Cognac area. Okay. And, uh, and uh, it, is, uh, it is basically a fortified uh, must, and you fortify it with, uh, with uh, so Cognac. So fortified means you add brandy yes. to it. So when, think of it as a port, but, when, but made in Cognac with Cognac. The port is a fortified wine. Uh, as far as uh, uh, Pinot is concerned, you will uh, simply... Uh, during harvest time, uh, mm-hmm. in the Charente, uh, in the Charente area, you will uh, take those grapes, crush them, and before the juice ferments, you will add cognac to it, at least one year old cognac. So, if it's before it ferments, that means that there's still some sugar involved. Absolutely, so, so a the, little bit sweet at the end of the it, day. It is, it is. Uh, the Pinot de Charente, uh, whether it's white or red, has residual sugar to it. Now, uh, there is uh, the acidity of this juice. Uh, in which you will add the cognac to, uh, will uh, balance out the, uh, the 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 sweetness. So uh, it makes uh, it makes for a uh, when the Pinot is young uh, and you just drink like a, a chilled uh, Pinot de Charente, simple Pinot de Charente uh, as an aperitif. It's going to be something on the fruit side um, with not much complexity or, or even finish to it. Just something, just just a. Just an easy summary aperitif type of thing. Is it fair to say that if we've seen Pinot de Chiron in the market, it's often in that style? Yes, yes. Ninety-nine uh, percent of the market is is the the, the young Pinot. It's a, it's a Pinot that's going to be, you know, between uh, at least eighteen months uh, eighteen months old, including twelve months in cask for the whites, or uh, twelve months old, including uh, eight months in cask for the reds. So uh, very the, the the Pinot market is uh, is. Very small market. Uh, most of it is consumed in France, a little bit in Belgium, and that's it. And then it's uh, it's on the cheaper side, uh, uh, and, and obviously because it's cheap, people are, because people are not expecting to pay a lot of money for Pinot, so they're going to be uh, the, the market is for uh, the younger style. But uh, you will find older Pinots, five years old, ten years old, fifteen, twenty years old Pinot, and because these because these uh, these grape juice and cognac mix. Uh, is aged in a cognac cask uh, on the lees with the uh, all the the, the the yeast and all things floating around. Exactly, it's going to bring complexity to the uh, to to this uh, to this one. Exactly like in champagne or uh, or in when you have like a muscadet sur lee or something like that, it brings complexity. And, and those wines, old Pinot de Charente, are actually. Uh, um, Nice, complex, sweet wines that you might want to pair with food, desserts, things like that, and and so you can have it with dessert. Oh, absolutely, yeah, sure, absolutely. Could be a pairing. It, it, oh, it could be very well be a pairing. I mean, the white old white Pinot goes with, uh, I don't know, foie gras, cheese plates, uh, red Pinot, which are uh, sweeter by nature uh, because the because the initial grape juice is uh, is uh, is lower acid. Um, that will be uh, the red Pinot will be uh, a dessert uh, dessert wine mostly but yes it's it's really something that you can use at a restaurant and it is it is a cool wine that nobody has ever heard about so there's like an excitement from um, the sommelier uh, from the guest to be introduced to something that uh, is not really available so that's that's one thing 
so Pinot, Pinot is what I'm uh, what I'm trying to uh, reintroduce, like old Pinot. Right so now. it seems like you're almost offering a chance to try something that has virtually disappeared in this country. As I'm not even sure it even made it, it even made uh, it was around uh, originally. It, yeah, like this could be the introduction, not the reintroduction. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I mean, you, you were asking me uh, before uh, about small small producers who feel surrounded by big brands and what should they do. Well, it just depends on who you have on the ground. Uh, you know, schlepping uh, schlepping cognac, pinot, Spanish brandies, or whatever, and and uh, and being able to. Uh, um, to uh, to bring the passion to uh, you know, sommeliers, wine buyers, or simply uh, simply you know um, connoisseurs, people who want to try try out new stuff. What's the degree of difference between the big boys and the small boys in this uh, region? I mean, are we looking at gigantic factories and massive bottling lines versus a guy doing it by hand? Or I mean, what's what is the in cognac? I mean, yeah. What is the degree of separation? Um, it's uh, it's very intertwined in the in the sense that ninety um, something percent of the cognac business is um, having small guys who uh, who grow vines, um, harvest, make a wine that is distilled either by them or by professional distillers, and this distillate is going to be sold to big houses. So um, most of the uh, the economy is based on the big brands. That we all know and that we all, all see in in all the bars out there, um, and so those uh, those big brands are going to uh, warehouse uh, age uh, a lot of spirits, even though uh, the small guys who are going to sell to them are also going to age um, cognacs that are intended to be sold to those big houses later on, um, and those so those warehouses uh, are going to be absolutely massive, and yes, you have uh, you have massive uh, massive bottling lines and. You know, if you sell, say, 10 million cases a year, uh, you need to have uh, uh, quite some stocks and 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 a, and a pretty decent bottling line. Um, so that's that's on, that's on one side of the that's on one side of the field. On the other side, you have uh, you have some guys who um, you have small guys who are only going to sell to the big boys. Uh, you have uh, some of, part of them are uh, going to sell to the big boys and uh, bottle things under their own label. And then you will have an either uh, uh, um, uh, fewer, even fewer people who are only going to be selling uh, cognacs under their own label and not sell to uh, to any uh, any negotiation. How many people like that are there that sell only their not own very products? Many. Uh, not very many. I would uh, I would say forty, fifty among uh, among about five thousand uh, five thousand growers. Uh, yeah, that's about that, that's that's about as uh, as much as. So, is it analogous to the scene that we may have seen in Burgundy, like forty years ago? Uh, in Burgundy or in Champagne? Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I I I often uh, I often compare uh, uh, the cognac business now uh, with the the Champagne business fifteen years fifteen years back. I was reading uh, I was reading uh, those articles in the uh, in the World of Fine Wine in the UK publication. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty and great magazine. That's 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 an awesome. It's an awesome magazine, and uh, and last month, I mean last uh, last edition, and this uh, and uh, and the current one, has articles uh, written by um, a guy who imports uh, uh, pretty cool wine. It seems in uh, in Australia, uh, Robert Walters. Okay, I'm not familiar. And uh, and he was he's writing about grower champagne and in the champagne business and how it evolved. And honestly, you take 
those two and those two articles, so this part one, part two, you uh, replace the word champagne by the word cognac, and uh, you have the the story of the cognac business, how we got there, why you have just you know main brands dominating the market, and that, and that type of thing. It's it's very similar. So uh, we've talked a lot about your uh, involvement with cognac area, Pinot de Charente, cognac itself. Uh, what else are you bringing in these days? Um, what I'm working, uh, I'm working uh, on Spanish brandies. We said uh, with the with the guys, uh, the guys from uh, Equipo Navazos. Okay. So, so uh, the guys who were behind uh, the Labota, the Labota, pretty delicious sherry. Yeah. So they do, uh, they do, uh, they do very cool uh, single cask um, uh, sherries, and uh, we are starting to uh, do uh, single cask Spanish brandies, uh, like the pure, untouched. Uh, Spanish brandy, uh, not something that has no something that has no caramel, something that has no sugar, something that has not been just just what's in the cask has been aged for a long time, and when it when it has aged well and expresses itself in a in a in a in a, in a subtle manner, uh, then uh, we're gonna we're gonna bottle one cask, you know, we're just gonna bottle one cask at a time and introduce people to uh, single cask pure Spanish brandies. So you brought some stuff into the studio today. Yep. Is, is one of those part of that project? Yeah, it's uh, it's the first, uh, it's the first, uh, the the the, the first uh, try. Uh, you have two bottles in front of you. Uh, the first one is uh, what's in the cask. Uh, it's an Oloroso cask. Uh, it's a pretty old, uh, it's a pretty old Spanish brandy uh, in the uh, in the Reres uh, in the Reres area. Your kitchen in Brooklyn, kind of ground ground uh, ground one for. For making things happen. In the, yeah, that's that's that, that's the, the cool Spanish thing. Spanish sherry that, that's revolution. The cool, that's the cool thing about that's the cool thing about the business. They did exactly the same thing in Reres that I did in Brooklyn, and then we exchanged uh, we exchanged uh, opinions, and uh, we uh, found what you, you know like the us, one with the full beard more than they did. Yeah, that's like it. the one with the Raleigh fingers mustache the most. Yeah, a little. Bit. Yeah, that's that. would be that. that <laughs> I'm just kidding. I could. I. I. I, I yeah. It's a. Uh, it's a good point. Uh. <laughs> hey, look. So take us through it. I mean, here you have a little bit in your glass. What's your tasting technique? I mean, if you could just kind of like for the people who may be listening, what would you say to someone who has a glass of, of brandy in front of them? How should they approach it? Um, first, I would say glassware is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, snifters are really not the best. Uh, they look good. Uh, but all it does because of the shape of the glass, uh, because there's a there's a there's a wide bottom and it's sort of a and, and, and you know it's uh, you're gonna have a lot of evaporation of alcohol at the bottom of the glass and then because of the because of the of the shape towards the nose of the glass it's gonna concentrate the it's gonna concentrate the alcohol vapors there and what you're mostly gonna feel if you use uh, one of those glass uh, will be a uh, will be the alcohol so okay. you're gonna you're gonna lose in complexity so I would I would uh, I would first recommend pouring pouring the the brandy uh, whatever it is in a, in a in a wine glass maybe just sim- simply a Bordeaux glass uh, you don't have to swell it because you know, again, you're gonna. What you're gonna have Plenty is uh, alcohol. Already. Yeah, you're gonna evaporate more alcohol, uh, and that's the that's the snifter. Uh, you, you're in the snifter category again, um, and uh, and then prime your uh, smell it, smell it from far, uh, then little by little bring the glass uh, to your nose, and you're gonna you're gonna pick up different layers of aromas. Uh, whether uh, when when the glass is far from your nose, you're gonna you're gonna pick up like heavier. Uh, darker sort of uh, notes. Okay. When it's when it's clutter from your nose, it's the uh, it might be uh, it might be uh, on the lighter side. I mean, you you'll experience different you'll experience different uh, 
uh, different uh, uh, aromas there. And then when it comes to taste, uh, to tasting the uh, the spirit, uh, prime your palate. Uh, take a little bit. Take one, you know, a drop or two. Okay, so you should kind of get a little bit to kind of acclimate your mouth to well, it's, what's it's, coming. It's it's uh, it's higher proof, you know. So you don't have really you don't really have to do that for wine, though it might it might be also a good uh, good practice. But for spirits, if you're gonna drink something that's you know 42, 45, 50, 60 percent alcohol, uh, you need to acclimate your taste by a little bit. Otherwise, it's gonna it, it's gonna clash. So that's an interesting point. So don't take a huge first swallow. Just take a little bit. Yeah, you swirl want, it around a little bit in a ab- mouth. Absolutely, you're gonna, you're gonna, you, you have to, you have to go very slow and and very easy so that you can, you can acclimate your palate, and then yes, the the second sip, that's where you, that's where you, you, you're gonna experience the, uh, the, 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 the brandy, uh, the, actual or the spirit flavor that might set it apart yeah, from another. Absolutely, absolutely. Because at, at first, all you're getting is the big hit of the alcohol. Yeah, that's. That, I mean, that's. Uh, there's no alcohol in your mouth. You know, you right. are. We we are mostly water. So you put water. You you, you put something that's fifty percent alcohol in, in, in a, a water in there, and that's uh, and it's it's gonna clash. So yeah, that's that, that's that's how we do. That's how we do it. Awesome. So what's next for you? You've been you know at this for a little over three years. You uh, you brought in some cognac. You brought in some. Other things from that region. You brought in some things from Spain. You brought in a bit of bitters, and I know you haven't talked much about your your Scotch program, but I know you're thinking about that a little bit. And uh, you know, there's an absinthe in there, I believe. What's yeah. next year? What's the next 365 days going to bring? Um, well, some some cool uh, some cool projects. I I hope I picked up uh, I picked up a very cool uh, very cool Armagnac. Uh, from the Sable Fauve area of the Bazar Maniac. So, uh, so you broke the boundaries between the uh, the Gascons and the... Yeah, it has been tough. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure. Did and you have uh, to get like, you know, is it like going to visit Hezbollah? Did you have to get like a guy to take you in a car, blindfolded into yeah. the Gascon? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I, I had special paperwork made. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty. Yeah, travel as a Canadian. It was it was pretty intense. I yeah. Uh, but I made it safely uh, back home, and uh, and I brought some uh, I brought some bottles with me, and uh, so that's that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be exciting. Um, then I'm uh, uh, if all goes well, I'm gonna release uh, um, like very old cognacs at the end of the year. Uh, start to uh, start to uh, you know bottle things that are in my cellar. That, uh, I remember you shared with me this old cognac from the Borderies region. That was uh-huh. just insane. Well, that's uh, there's there's crazy stuff out there. There's not a lot, but there's really cool stuff out there. And so that's that's the reason why if you're a small operation, you can you you, you are able to bottle those things and make them available here. Otherwise, if I was a, if I was a bigger structure. It would not make sense to uh, bring in so few bottles. No, I mean if I if I, if I bring you know fifty bottles, hundred bottles, two hundred bottles, uh, I can uh, I can cover the costs and make a little bit, a bit of profit here, and and it's going to work out. Uh, if I have a uh, twenty five uh, people team, uh, a marketing team uh, to uh, you know to feed and 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 all those things, then it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. So that's why I can uh, I can bowl. Uh, things that are uh, cool in small quantities because what I'm what I'm trying to explain also is that if you uh, if they are out there old expression of spirits 
uh, that are really worth uh, trying, but they are not available in huge quantities. If you find a bottling in every single uh, on every single shelves in every single bar around the galaxy, uh, it, it can't be rare and as rare and as old as it said uh, it is. As a, as it would appear to be from the marketing. Yes, it's. I mean, uh, if it's available everywhere, it can't be that rare. How much? I mean, if the if if you have like an you know say eighty years old cognac out there, or I don't know hundred years old armagnac out there, how much stuff with evaporation and everything? How much stuff must have been made a uh, hundred years back? Honestly, mm. Mm. so it, it just can't happen. So that's uh, and that's the that that's the great thing about you know having a very small operation. If I like it, I'm going to buy it myself. I'm going to bring it here. I'm going to sell it myself. And who's buying? Um, Is it just people in New York, or are you all the way across the states? Well, right now I'm selling to uh, eleven states, uh, including uh, including New York. Uh, New York is my number one market. California and Chicago and Illinois, with Chicago, are are doing uh, are doing really well. And then you know Florida, Miami, those those kind of places. Wherever uh, I can find um, people who are interested. Who want to uh, who want to uh, open up their uh, horizon to uh, new stuff, uh, non-branded stuff, uh, things that small guys make? Then usually, you know, it's uh, you taste. If if you manage to if you manage to get those guys' attention, um, you taste them on the product, and then the product uh, the product you know, sort of speaks for itself. And then you have um, um, sort of like you know brand ambassadors. In uh, the good restaurants or the good bars out there, the good stores, who are gonna in turn, uh, you know, spread the spread the love and and turn their customers into you know, the things. So it's uh, I mean it's uh, it takes time, it takes a lot of travels, it takes uh, but it's uh, no, it's uh, it, it's really it's really exciting. Are there certain categories where you're just more likely to come across artists and spirits uh, than in other categories? I mean, are certain categories just kind of not happening in terms of family production, or is it pretty much across the board in the realm of spirits that you could find something cool? Um, it's a it's a good question. I I drink a lot of whiskey, and I'm a big fan of bourbon, and I would love to uh, find uh, old stocks of bourbon made by small families. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly like I'm doing in cognac, mm-hmm. though it's not that easy because now you have craft distillers who are, you know, producing bourbon on a small scale uh, or whiskeys and whiskey in general. But uh, it's not something cultural. For mm-hmm. example, like you know, 150 years ago, uh, you because of because of the structure, for example, of the uh, of the uh, of the bourbon uh, of the bourbon industry, it's not like in cognac where you have. Big brands buying from small guys or you know distilling products uh, in in their in their own cellar and then selling it back to the to, to the brands. Um, in in the bourbon in the bourbon business, you have mostly uh, major distilleries. Uh, there is I think like twelve or fourteen major distilleries out there who are uh, responsible for uh, producing and aging um, a lot of the uh, of the, the bottlings out there. And and it seems pretty hard to find, uh, or almost impossible to find, um, bourbons that you could, uh, you know, you you can really go to in Bourbon County and and drive to somebody, and you know, see an old steel and go there and and walk into a cellar 
full of all stuff. It, right. it doesn't really happen. But it's just it seems to be just a cultural a cultural thing. The way and the way the the way the industry uh, sort of uh, um, got shaped. Are there regional palettes on the customer side? Do you find that certain products in your portfolio are blown up in certain parts of the U.S. but not other parts? Um, not really, in that sense that uh, I'm I'm always selling to the same type of customers in a way. With just uh, different locations, right? Like it's the right. same kind of guy, right? It's uh, it's usually or girl. exactly. It's it's usually foodies, uh, people who are into wine, people who uh, are into spirits, uh, and who have experienced uh, uh, um, a lot of a lot of different flavor and aroma profile, uh, food and food and wine and spirit wise. So it's uh, they there are differences uh, in uh, between between countries for sure. Uh, I I do a little business in Asia, uh, and I have what's cost- the reception there? I mean, there's such. Uh- uh, whiskey fans uh, often in like Japan, for instance. I I, I wish big in China. I think. Yeah, I, I I have not much experience in in, in Japan. Uh, I'm going to work on that though because I really want to go there. <laughs> but I, uh, I found that like the selection on a normal store shop was, like rivals a specialty Scotch merchant here. Yeah, that's 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 what you tell me. That's what you told me, and that's that's really that's I really just something. The same things over and over. No, it's that that it really sparked. This sparked my interest uh, towards towards doing there. Um, what I know is, for example, I do I do a little bit of business in Hong Kong. You do, and uh, and there is uh, and, and the palette there is really uh, shaped for uh, rounder, sweeter um, type of spirits. Like I see. When I do, uh, there's some uh, there's single casks uh, single casks that I ball uh, at Cast Trends that are. Um, uh, pretty big hits here in the mm-hmm. U.S. and and they were a bit too uh, considered a bit too sharp uh, for the uh, for the uh, the Hong Kong palette. Let me say. Are, are there still markets where people are using a lot of mixers with spirits like this? Well, are the, people blending soda and cognac? Well, you you could. Uh, the problem is most of the most of the things I do, uh, most of the cognacs I do are uh, old cognacs, and old cognacs mean uh, means a long time in wood. Yeah, long time in wood means uh, a lot of tannins, and if you have something, if you have a wine or spirits with a lot of tannins, and you um, and, and you serve them chilled, or you put ice in it, or you you make a drink that's going to be served chilled, uh, the tannins are going to come out. And this is and it's going to ruin the ruin the drink. I did I did an experiment with a, with a friend of mine in Hamburg, with a very cool bar called Le Lion de Paris, and uh, and we uh, you know I I, I brought with me uh, younger cognacs and uh, older stuff from the beginning of the century, and uh, we uh, made cocktails because he's a he's a, he's a you know known uh, mixologist. And cocktails men you know made with uh, cognac that are sixty seventy eighty years old they're not that great mm-hmm. uh, but that's it's mostly because of because of the temperature effect because of the ice so the the mixers are uh, the cognac because it's bringing out more bitter quality right. making Absolutely. the actual complexity seem simpler right and there and there's like a drying a drying effect sure uh, um, to that um, now the, the cognacs that are used in the um, in the uh, in, in cocktails or you know it, it seems to be a, a big business and, and it's it's a business uh, it's a business for a younger style of cognacs so something else you do uh, that's not directly related to your business interest is um, 
a list of kind of like tasting and job opportunities for people in the industry. It seems like you sort of do that without any real reward. You put out, uh, you know, weekly mailers that indicate different job openings for some means, which can be difficult to hear about if you're not really connected. And also you kind of get the word out about trade tastings. Why did you start doing that? And um, you've really stuck at it for a while. What's the reward there for you? Do you find it's come back? Have people been real positive? Um, it's uh, it started uh, it started uh, about yeah about four years ago. Um, I met uh, the, the first uh, the first uh, uh, person in the wine business here. I met um, is uh, is a dear friend of mine, Yannick Benjamin. Sure, voice um, voice at, at Le Duze, and uh, and uh, I was fortunate enough to. Um, be with him uh, when uh, there was a tasting, blind tasting group. Yeah, uh, there used to be that tasting on like Saturday morning. On right? Saturday morning, and, and so uh, he, he had started it uh, a little, a little before, and then we, we sort of like you know made it uh, official, and uh, and uh, that's where I started to. So we we had we had like ten, twelve, fifteen people coming every uh, every Saturday morning from nine to ten, right before the the store would open up. Uh, we would blind taste wines. Uh, people would be mostly in there. Uh, so you would essentially steal wine from the shop. Yes, and then we would uh, refill the bottle with whatever we could find, and then <laughs> so it, g- it gave you good experience for bottling your own from cask because you already knew how to to fill up bottles. Ex- exactly. That's, that's that's how it, it all started. Uh, <laughs> and uh, totally kidding, John Luke, if you're listening. <laughs> all the all the merchandise was paid for. And uh, yeah, totally. Uh, and uh, and so. For this group, uh, for this group of uh, of people that were there, uh, I started to, you know, the goal was to uh, was to taste the much uh, as much wine as you can. So obviously, trade trade tastings are, um, are one way to do that. And uh, and uh, you know, I started to um, pay attention to the trade tastings and figured out that nobody uh, really in the group knew of all the tastings. So that's how the idea uh, sort of sparked to uh, get the group. Uh, um, make the group aware of those tastings out there, and then it just uh, it just grew uh, it just grew from there. Because um, you're already sending out the email about the tasting, so then people were like, "Hey, can you tell so tell people that?" I have yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so people people would just uh, you know the, the member of this uh, of this small tasting group would just send me emails of their friends or you know colleague coworkers whatever, and then I would just have people emailing me say, "Hey, you know I." Uh, I've heard that there was this calendar there or whatever. Can you can you add me to the list? And it, it sort of grew and uh, and now I do that uh, I do that on my on my free time, um, just, which uh, there can't really be that much, honestly, because you've got a lot going on. Well, one man operation. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not it's not as if I I had uh, like zillions of guys uh, working for me all the time and I could just like hang out and stuff. But it's uh, you know I started I started doing it and when I try when I. Uh, do something i try to do it as well as i can so yeah i started doing that uh it seems to be uh it seems to be helpful to a few people so why not you know and uh if you could just kind of sum up and i don't know further explain to people who don't have the benefit of hearing about you through marketing um don't have that kind of um look at you that is broad-based i mean what would you tell people about what you're doing Uh, if you just sum it up in a few few words what are you up to in your business um promoting uh modestly artisan spirits 
um, giving a, giving a voice to uh, the small guys out there who don't have necessarily the marketing money to put ads in the subway uh, about their product um, and and get people out there to um, you know give them give them a chance to experiment what guys in remote areas of France uh, are doing. And uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be it. You're the man. Thanks for taking some time, sir. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the invite. I have, Thanks uh, a lot. A lot of respect for what you're doing, and I hope to hear good things in the future. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.